Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. The example I give all the time is is coffee, right? You can build a coffee shop in your town, but it's not going to become the next Starbucks just because you have coffee and people like coffee. The biggest mistake a lot of addiction treatment providers make is they, they think they're just meeting a need and so people are going to come for that. And it's not the way yes, it works. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can't you can't treat addiction treatment as a commodity. And people get confused on that because there are unique moments in time when that's possible, mm-hmm. right? If you are the only coffee shop in town, yes, if you open that coffee shop, everyone that wants coffee will come. Treatment was very much across the country. So you could literally open up an addiction treatment center and people would just kind of flood in because there was such a strong need. Um, But nowadays there's more beds than there is need, just like there's more coffee shops and there's people that need coffee. So when real competition comes in and the market matures as they always do, you have to be differentiated. You have to provide better quality than the competitors or something different. And that was Nick Jaworski. Nick is the CEO of a company by the name of Circle Social Inc. And they are basically experts in behavioral health strategy, marketing, and growth. Nick also hosts a podcast by the name of Recovery Executive Podcast. Links for his website and the podcast are below. Be sure to check those out. And we just have a great conversation centered more around the business of behavioral health and what's missing and what we really need to start paying attention to. But Nick also shares what he's passionate about and why he got into working with behavioral health companies. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you are somebody who works for a behavioral health company, which I know there's a big number of people who listen to this podcast are, share this, listen to this, because I believe there's stuff that is missing that we are not paying attention to, and this is important. So please enjoy. 2021 is around the corner, and I am excited, especially after this conversation, because right around the recording of this podcast, which was about two months ago, was in the middle of me just realizing how big of a gap there is when it comes to whether it's marketing, whether it's branding, there's such a big gap and it's not being used in the right way. And this is an important conversation for all of us to hear. Maybe boring to some of you who are in recovery and listen more for the story aspects, but this is still a big piece in order to connect the treatment providers and the people who use their services. I fully believe being on both sides of those at one point, that there's a gigantic gap that needs to be bridged in order for people to really start getting help. And I'm hoping people in our area and the country and the world start waking up to this because it's something simple and really not super expensive in the long run and you can connect with people. So enjoy this episode. I will be in touch. I'm looking forward to the new year coming in a few months and it's just, it's time. All right, guys. Love you. Bye. Hello. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Hey, not too bad. Yourself? Good. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hope you don't mind. I'm in my my Sunday best here. I had a late night editing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm staying in my bathrobe for a few. <laughs> 
But, but I was, yeah, I was up till about three. I think I finally got done. I started rendering my video. I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed. Yeah, dude, that's too late. What's going on with this? I was in a, I was in a strict routine, bedtime routine, wake up routine until COVID happened. Yeah. And th then now I'm kind of, uh, kind of all over the place, depending on what I got going on the next day. You know, it's it's interesting. We've been so busy lately. I just get exhausted by the end of the day. I got so much going on that, like, literally, I'll fall asleep at like eight thirty or nine. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm grateful. I don't require much sleep, so I'm kind of grateful for that. Hmm. Like four, or five, five hours, I'd say, is like good. You know, if I get five hours of good wow. sleep, I'm pretty functional the next day. But um, yeah, I've been uh been trying to you know just expand my skill whether it's you know mainly in the graphic design world and so mm -hmm. usually usually end up being i'm up late doing photoshop or something fun that i want to improve on but, yeah but yeah so i'm yeah, glad I, go uh, ahead anyway. no i was just gonna say i'm glad you're uh you're talking to me it's it's funny timing how the universe works i have recently been kind of going through um an identity crisis of what I, what I want to do, you know, kind of position my business and where I want to position it. And I have yeah. recently over the last probably year have really fallen in love with like brand strategy. And there's a lot of overlap of what you're doing. Yeah. So I really would love to be selfish and just have a personal conversation with you this whole time. But I should we should do a podcast because I'd like to push out what you're doing, because what you're doing, I think, is is important. And I don't think treatment providers, at least a huge chunk of them don't find any importance in it. And that's the first thing they cut. That's the first thing they stop doing. And mm -hmm. I feel like that is the result of them being stuck. There's so many of them stuck. And I don't, you know, I know where, where are you located? We're based in Indianapolis. Okay. So, so you're out there. I'm assuming it, you know, generally um, that's this thing, but I guess before we get into any of that, you know, introduce yourself and you know, what, what you're doing, your business, your company, and you know, your main, your main mission, vision, whatever you would kind of want to sure. share about that. Sure. So obviously owner of Circle Social Inc., uh, you know, if you're in the field of addiction treatment, behavioral health, you probably know us. We are got three wins of the business. We've got our consulting wing, which is a lot of operational consulting as well as marketing consulting. Then we've got the marketing execution wing where we do all the standard, you know, branding, SEO, website design, direct paid media campaigns, et cetera. And then we're also building out uh, data analytics and data warehousing wing. Okay. So dashboards. Uh, helping clients better understand their data and then how to use it to make actual business decisions. The whole purpose of the company that we have been from the beginning is into our, at least entry into behavioral health is just reshaping the space, right? So each wing of the business does something to help providers either reduce costs to allow them to provide better operations, which obviously helps them then provide better clinical or make sure they're communicating with their communities and their constituents in a way that's actually going to be valuable and, and not just drive value and bring people in from an admission standpoint. I mean, obviously that's important. People need to get the help, but also, you know, even if people don't necessarily come in as a patient, is everything we're putting into the community valuable to that community and potential patients, right? Can they learn something from it? Are they getting you know, resources or tools that might help them with addiction or behavioral health? So a big piece of what we do is really, how do we add value, not just to our clients, but to the communities that our clients operate in? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like that's what it's all about, <laughs> right? Giving yeah. giving back to your community. That's what I've, I've worked, obviously I've been on both sides of the the treatment provider where I've been using their services. I went to an inpatient, short-term, inpatient, long-term, right from jail. And I, you know, so I've been on that side. So I know what it's like to kind of be on that side. And now over the last couple of years, 
I've been working closely with the treatment providers. And I feel like, obviously, that's always their main mission, but I feel like there's something there that is keeping them from creating more content, creating more strategy that gives people value and that connects with them. Yeah, it's really tough. There's a tension there all the time, right? Because you have your financial drivers. I mean, obviously, if you're not making money, you don't have the lights on. And then depending on your financial and where your capital is coming from, you might have pressures from shareholders or investors Mm -hmm. that, you know, the comment that we make all the time is basically revenue growth is a function. Um, It's not actually a goal. And I worked for Disney years ago, and that was something that Disney just preached over and over and over again to everyone in leadership. They're like, look, you know, revenue is a function of what we do. If we have really happy staff committed to the mission, they're going to give a great experience to customers. And then those customers are going to continue to purchase products. So we don't focus on revenue growth. We focus on driving value for employees and our customers. And and that's really the bottom line for any business. And so it gets challenging sometimes when you've got these financial pressures, you're like, well, geez, what what can we do in a knee-jerk reaction to you know, find another 10 admissions this month. Um, it puts you in a difficult situation. There are things that you can do, you know, maybe you can spend more money, maybe you just put in a bit more effort, maybe, you know, you're trying some hack over here or there, but it doesn't put you in a good long-term position. So you have to balance this strategic kind of analysis on your short-term and your long-term and say, okay, what can we do now to make, you know, make sure we're optimizing our marketing campaigns, make sure that we're doing the appropriate community outreach to get, you know, as many admissions as possible in a given month, but also we have to balance that. And that's where leadership really struggles often is how do we make sure we're not shooting ourselves in the foot? So a real good example that you brought up and something that I've been having a couple conversations with clients on recently is like content. Mm-hmm. We'll go and they'll create all this random content. You know, they're like, well, if we just have enough content out there, then more people will find us on Google and then more people will call. Well, that doesn't work, right? I mean, if you look at American Edition Centers, if you look at Sovereign, if you look at Solid Landings, if you look at all these um, large facilities that failed, they had massive amounts of content across multiple websites, right? Um, And none of them were able to make it. It's not about driving volume, you know, and Mm. providers back in the day were spending a million a month on ad spend. You know, again, they still failed, right? So again, it's not about volume. You can't just buy your way to success. Um, You have to be strategic and you have to have that value. If your clinical program is mediocre, I don't care what you're doing, you know, you're you're not going to get the results that you need. And if your content doesn't match what you're actually providing, then it creates this, what we call a negative spiral. You know, you think about like a restaurant, right? Let's say this restaurant has this great marketing and it looks like this awesome food on there. And then you go in and and it's crap. (laughs) You do, you leave a bad review, you tell everyone not to go to it. So that marketing, it seemed like it was good at first, right? Because all these people came in. But what we actually did is you shot yourself in the foot because now you have all these bad online reviews, you have all this bad word of mouth in the community, a bad reputation. So now your business is tanking. And what business owners will sometimes do is they'll say, oh, well, man, it was working before. I must have bad marketing now. Fire the marketing team, fire the agency, do something different on marketing. I need to figure out this marketing thing to get customers back. No, that, that wasn't the issue. Your business... And the quality of the product and service you provided was the issue. And you just accelerated your own demise because you you had a mismatch between what you provided and what you communicated to the community. And that kind of analysis understanding is something that a lot of owners and even executives struggle with. Yeah, I feel majority of them struggle with it. I've found them, the people that I've come in contact with and have been in touch with. I'm fairly close with a handful of 
CEOs that have been big supporters of mine since I've started what I'm doing. And they do. I met with one the other day. I won't, I guess I won't use his name, but he said like, they're just, they are stuck in the first sign of trouble. They go right to the marketing and cut that. And, yeah. and, and then after that, if they have any kind of like construction going on, they'll cut that and you know, that's it. And so it kind of frustrated me. And that's why I, I'm glad our podcast kind of got rescheduled to this day. Cause I feel like I have so much more to say and, you know, talk to you about because it's something that I have really, really noticed. And I don't know why it took me so long to notice this problem, but it is, it is there. And I think it's really hurting the, the communities and the growth of the treatment providers. And they're in a bad spot right now, obviously with everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you look at marketing, it's not just addiction treatment. I mean, everyone does yeah. it. Marketing tends to be one of the first things that goes. And that's challenging because the problem is that the executive team has a trouble establishing the ROI of the marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, most marketing is pretty long-term. You know, there are a couple of platforms out there like AdWords where you can do some real easy attribution. You know, I see a call, I see an admin, you know, pretty easy. Um, but most marketing platforms don't work that way. And th- there's volume issues with it, you know? So if you look at your typical marketing on AdWords, you know, in a particular state, you might have maybe 80,000 high intent searches a month um, for addiction treatment terms. I mean, that's it, that's, that's all you get, right? You get those 80,000 and there's no more. While if you actually look at the number of people struggling with addiction versus number of searches, vastly more people are struggling with addiction in a given state than people searching online for it, right? So the majority of your audience actually exists outside Google searches or AdWords searches, right? But you can't track that because when I run a a Facebook campaign, when I put up a billboard, when I run a TV ad, you know, I mean, just as normal, nobody sees a McDonald's ad or a Tide's ad and says, oh, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and go buy some Tide because I need some laundry detergent, right? It doesn't work that way. So you've got this long-term kind of funnel in there and there's multiple touch points. Most people will see a billboard or a Facebook ad and then they'll, you know, see them online and they'll hear something from a friend and eventually decide to call. And because you can't track that, that frustrates a lot of executives, right? They don't, they don't know how valuable their money is. And so that's when you really have to understand the space. You have to understand the strategy and you have to have that long-term view of, you know, I mean, even on our end, like I never track our cost per lead. I never track our cost for a new client, right? We just do really good marketing and we know that that's going to drive business growth long-term and it always has. And it does the same thing for our clients, you know, but it is definitely a challenge to get to see that. So you've got to balance those pieces and say, okay, there's this commitment to this long-term. We have to invest this money. If we don't, it might not hurt us right now, but three months from now it will I mean, we've had clients do that. They're like, well, what if we just cut the spend? I'm like, you know, you won't notice it for a bit. And then three months from now, you'll be really hurting, you know, and then sometimes they'll do it and then come back three months later. And they're like, oh my God, you were right. I'm like, well, yeah, every single time. <laughs> I'm not taking this stuff up. Like we have, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars of data that proves, you know, the points that we're making a lot of the time. So yeah, you know, it, it's tough though. It's tough when, when you're trying to balance all those finances, um, you know, you got to find something to cut sometimes. No, I, yeah, I agree. You know, and I, I think my, my thinking of it now now is like good branding, you know, what it is of itself. I, and I think it maybe it is the marketing word because for me, I've always avoided this area. Mm. You know, even starting the business, I'm like, oh, marketing, they're all just salespeople. They're all liars, you know, just that stereotypical what right. that is. And then you kind of look more into how that whole part of business has changed and is kind of transforming and shifting to the, you know, you 
the company now creates the customer, the com- the customer now creates the company essentially. And yeah. you know, what, what really, what good branding is, is just giving that value to people yeah, and, and not expecting anything in return. And in return you get, you know, loyalty is usually what happens. And so my thinking has always been, and why I've kind of been in this, you know, this thought process is if you do that, what if you can cut, you know, half of the grants that you need or half of the funding you need from the government because the community is donating and supporting you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just kind of where my thinking has been. And I think that's something and I'm glad you're doing it. I think that's something we need in this industry to kind of really hit the community harder because I feel like it's been the same old, same old, same old. We're stuck in one kind of model. And I have found that they are starting to kind of extend their wings into away from just 12 step and getting into mm-hmm. other things. But it's still, I think, stuck somewhere. And I'm very you know excited that find that there's companies like what Social Circle is doing. Yeah. You know, outcomes tracking is a big deal, not just in marketing, but in healthcare in general and addiction treatment. And mm-hmm. that's that's a, a spot where we're kind of stuck in the field. You know, I just did a to- uh, podcast with Tom Britton. He's the CEO of the Gateway Foundation, and they're doing a lot around tracking around clinical outcomes in particular. But that's still new. It's still kind of up and coming yeah. in the addiction treatment space. And, and again, it's not, it's not you know, to rag on addiction treatment at all. Behavioral health never tracks outcomes. Um, when you get into psych behavioral and acute care, most hospitals don't track outcomes, you know, and those that do are, are just forced to by Medicaid mm-hmm. right? Medicaid. for billing. Yeah, right, correct. You know, and so that's the only reason you're doing it. So, you know, it's definitely not a unique problem. Um, everyone's really struggling with it in, in different ways. But at the end of the day, if we want to improve as an organization, it's not just about billing for me. Right. When I look at tracking and data, it allows us to understand what's working and what's not working. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really important. And that's the same thing, whether you're doing a marketing campaign or clinical, if I don't know which of my clinicians and therapists are good at what they do, or if I don't know which programming we have or which particular groups that we have that are effective, how, how in the hell can I improve? Right. I can't. I don't even know if it's working or not. Um, I don't know if I'm benchmarked across mm-hmm. what other providers are doing. And, and that was one of the biggest things we did at Circle Social is when we came in, we saw that there was no benchmarks or data in the space. You know, so we we built it, right? We said, hey, here's what your cost per call should be from this particular channel. Here's what a cost per admission should look like. Here's how much of your budget you should be spending on SEO versus paid media versus business development. You know, we created those benchmarks because we, we looked at the data and we mm. built it and analyzed it. You know, and surprisingly, no one had been doing that. Did I just, did I call it social circle earlier? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You know, honestly, even when I first started the company, it's, it's a, it's a linguistic. It's, it is. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's, it trips yeah. you up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So probably, you know, when I first came up with the name, it was, you know, pretty random years ago. <laughs> and it's it stuck. Yeah. It's good. It makes you think. Cause I was like, did I, I don't think I said the name right. Yeah. I have it all the time. Like even when I'm giving presentations, uh, I have to remind people like, Hey, you're probably going to trip on this. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Nick, why did you, uh, why did you get into this field? What made you kind of lean towards the, uh, the substance use and mental health, uh, world? Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons. I mean, I went through a different treatment myself when I was, uh, late teens, something like that, you know, court ordered, I did DUI, a couple of DUIs actually. <laughs> so went through it and I had a really negative experience. It was, um, it wasn't horrible or anything like that, but it was just it was pretty junk, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, really untrained counselor, um, just really kind of asinine in, in terms of it. She ran groups and I could see that 
most people are in there were in there because they were similar to me. They had some kind of court ordered mandate to be there. They were trying to reduce sentencing on DUI or something. But there were a couple people that were just really needed help. And you could just tell every single group I went into that these people weren't getting the help that they needed. The, the value wasn't being delivered from a clinical standpoint. It was a lot of talking and just kind of random sharing. And then it's like random education issues. Um, you know, like let's watch this movie today. You know, so that kind of stuff. Uh, so that stuck with me for, for years. So when I started building the company, we were in a couple different verticals, right? Like a lot of companies when you first start off, you're just trying to get your feet on the ground. You're trying to make sure you have enough revenue to pay staff, et cetera. But as we built the company and became stable, I realized that we needed to focus. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't really scalable to be learning all these different industries because marketing is very, very different, right? Marketing addiction treatment is different from marketing. A, you know, used car dealership is different from marketing an e-commerce company. Um, you have to understand the industry to really be good at what you're doing. And you have to benchmark across mm -hmm. that industry, right? So I saw that need and I'm like, well, where do we want to go? Uh, we had a couple addiction treatment clients, actually. Some of them are still with us today, you know, so from starting the company till now, we still have some of the same clients. Uh, we were good at, at it. We were good at what we did with them. I remembered my experiences in the space. And then as I dug into the space, I saw a lot of the issues that, you know, I, I harp on all the time, you know, the lead aggregators, the shady marketing, the stuff that everyone knows about that really bothered me. So I'm like, well, here's an opportunity for us to do this better, right? We're good at this. We can identify the really quality providers and, Oftentimes is the case, especially when, when we were smaller, we worked with smaller clients right mm -hmm. now, we work with larger providers, but still uh, the smaller clients, you know, they, they were really passionate about what they did, but they didn't understand business. They didn't understand marketing. So, you know, you had these really big guys, you know, your, your people doing the shady tactics that were unfortunately attracting a lot of patients because they just understood marketing and business. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, look, we can actually fix this, right? we can work with the good providers that are trying to provide quality care and we can help them on the business and the marketing end to actually make sure that the patients are getting connected to the right care, right? So all of that just came together and, and you know, it was, it was passion, it was experience, it was opportunity. And I, I love it. I just love it. My team loves it. You know, everyone on the staff is really committed to mental health or addiction. They've either had personal experiences themselves or they have had family or friends that have those experiences. You know, we do some kind of behavioral health discussion every single week as a team, you know, whether it's a video or a research article, like we're always learning and growing about behavioral health. And you just see in the conversations we have and the communications between the team members, just how, how passionate people are. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of value there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not saying that selling t-shirts or, you know, helping a roofing company or something is bad, but there's definitely not the same level of passion, right? And, and everything that we do is just focus on reshaping this. I think we have seen such impact on it, surprisingly. I mean, even for myself, you know, when I had set out this goal, I said, hey, you know, we're not just providing marketing as a service. We are going to reshape the space. And that's why we built out the consulting wing. That's why we're building out the data analytics wing now. So I'm always looking and saying, how can we improve the space? How can we make it better? How can we help providers? And I get calls every day, not every day. I get calls almost every week. Mm -hmm. that you know someone sometimes it's a client sometimes it's not and they just randomly reach out and they say hey nick you know i just want to really 
say thank you. We appreciate so much the content that you guys put out, the impact you've had on the space. And, you know, that's obviously really meaningful to me. Uh, I share that stuff with the team. It's meaningful to them. So that, that just keeps our motivation going. And, and we're seeing the changes all the time. Uh, I've constantly seen the field improving, you know, in the time that we've been in it. And so, you know, it just, it's really motivating. Yeah, it's it's a patience game, I think, because I think they are they are changing slowly. <laughs> but I mean, you've been I feel like I'm a little late to the game because this is again, this is something that just really I've noticed over the last six months that is a huge problem. And I think that if more people see it like you and can get in there and really help change that space, it could ultimately make a huge difference in in getting people help and just ending stigma. I think that's the biggest thing. Just Let's get rid of that and make people yeah. comfortable with speaking up. Hey, I'm struggling with this. And I think this is a huge piece of it. And I'm starting to think that this might be more important than, you know, I won't say anything else because obviously being there for the people and serving them and, you know, giving them counsel and everything else is super important. But I feel like it's one of the biggest pieces um, that needs to change in the in this world, in this industry. Yeah, I agree with you. One of the biggest pushes that we make as a team is the idea that recovery is possible, whether you're talking mm -hmm. about health or addiction treatment needs. And I think that's something that is not, not conceived very well within the space. Mm -hmm. There is this idea that, you know, people are permanently stuck. And I always feel bad that like we do a lot of onsite observations, right? With groups, with patients, with alumni, you know, you get a lot of people that come up to you and they say, Hey, I, I'm an addict. I, I'm a liar. I'm a manipulator, right? Because that's been drilled into their heads. Not that this is something about, you know, the way that they're acting right now, but this is somehow built into the core of them as a person, whether it's genetic or spiritual or however they interpret it, they think it's like them. And so they're constantly fighting themselves to not be a manipulator or not be a liar or not be an addict. And that bothers me. Um, that, that's not accurate, right? When we look at the neuroscience and the neurobiology of how behavior and everything works. Um, but we see it every day. We see people recover whether it's from depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, or addiction, people are constantly finding recovery. It doesn't mean you can't slip back into bad habits, right? I mean, it's, it's the same as any of us. Like if I start working out, if I start eating healthy, pretty pretty common for people to slip back and, you know, stop stop doing them sometimes. Right? It doesn't mean that's who they are. It doesn't mean that they're a, a bad eater or a lazy person, right? It just means that, hey, you got to apply effort and consistency to these things to, to keep the change going. Uh, and behavioral health issues are exactly the same. Yeah, it's it's I just watched your I'm trying to remember what was the video. Let me I have it still up here. You're you're thinking about mental health choice and addiction all wrong. Your little um slide deck thing that you did there online, I'm assuming. And, you know, just the stats you were given in the beginning of that video are just it's dumbfounding because it's true. I mean, I think the one was what, like two percent of people who get written prescription opioids actually only get addicted. Right. And there is, there's so many twisted and wrong points of view of what substance use is. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, AA and NA have kind of ruled the roost for so long. And that is strictly, you know, you're sick, you'll never get better, admit it and be done with it. Yeah. And I think that is such a, that is such a hurtful, hurtful thing. Cause I remember, I remember the exact moment very vividly. I was still an inpatient and I remember thinking, why am I still calling myself an addict? Like, why am I just like, you know, so much more as a human being than just an addict? Why am I just identifying with that? Why don't I identify with my empathetic part more? Why don't I identify with the positive traits more? And so I stopped saying it. I believe that cure, I don't know if cure is the right word because I don't really know what that means in this sense, but I believe people could easily go back to 
you know, whatever it is they wanted to do in life without ever having to worry about it. And I think yeah. it, I think you need self-awareness and I think you need to be aware and not set yourself up for failure. But I think it's an important thing. And I really kind of enjoyed it. I'll probably finish it later on your slide because I was uh, enjoying it. Yeah, that neurological perspective, you know, to your point is, I mean, we build behavior patterns through neurological pathways, right? And, and those don't really go away. You know, I think it's actually in that video, but I always use the example of riding a bike. You know, when you learn to ride a bike, you never forget it, right? You can stop using that bike. You can never ride it again. But, you know, 20 years later, you can pop on and you'll you'll be a little bit rusty, but you can do it, right? Behavior patterns are, are pretty similar. So if you've got a behavior pattern that's, you know, around addiction, um, you've got that built up and it's not like it's ever going to disappear per se or forget it. And I, I think that's why people sometimes say, you know, there's no such thing as a cure because that pathway always exists and you could technically mm -hmm. slip back into it. Just like anyone that has never had that pathway could actually, you know, kind of create it and fall into it. Right. I'm given the right circumstances, you know, but at the same time, just because I know how to ride a bike and I could go and pop back on, it doesn't mean I have to, right. I can still drive my car I can still walk to work. I can choose never to ride that bike again. And, and behavioral health situations are the same, you know, that pathway is there, but I don't have to use it. You know, I can do so much other things in my life and, and never go back to it. So, you know, that's why I would say like recovery is possible and it's not necessarily a cure because there's always potential to go back and fall back into bad habits. But at the same time, it's always possible to, to never, ever go back to that bad habit. And I think that's really important for people to understand. And I agree with you that I think from, from the AANA um, perspective of things, that is part of the message you know, I don't like. You know, AANA have obviously been super helpful to mm -hmm. a lot of people. And so that's, that's super important. It works for a certain percentage of people and that's great. But I do have a personal issue with, with that part of that message, you know, where I, I think it's not um, necessarily helpful to people all the time. Yeah, it's interesting how things are changing, um, to say the least. There's a lot of interesting debates going on because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the it's a chronic, you know, relapsing brain disease thing as well. But, you know, there's so many different debates. But so walk me, you know, th through a little bit of your process when you first start coming on with a company and wanting to kind of, um, I mean, which ways can you go? So if I kind of approached you about wanting to change up my marketing style at my company, you know, how would that process usually, what would it look like for you? Sure. So we're pretty unique in where we require an on-site consult. Uh, okay. We actually bring any marketing components in. And so that, that works on two ways. One, it weeds out for us, the people that aren't serious, because that's a pretty serious cost. You know, mm -hmm. they're paying $1,000 or more for us to come in for a month and just really do a deep dive into their organization and find out what's working, what's not working. You know, so from our perspective, if you don't have a good foundation in place, it doesn't matter uh, what we do on the marketing end, right? If your call operations are not set up to answer the phone appropriately or, you know, get people from inquiry to admission appropriately, then we're just wasting money on the marketing end. If you have gaps in your clinical programming where it's low quality, you know, then again, if we're just going to waste money on the marketing end. It goes back to that restaurant example I gave, you know, same kind of mm -hmm. thing. If the website isn't built, you know, from a way that builds a strong SEO foundation, that's not something that needs to be redone. So anyway, we go in and we look at all these systems and processes across business departments. And then we say, okay, here's all the stuff that needs to be revamped so that we have a strong foundation in place so that we can then go ahead and, you know, 
build a marketing strategy for you that's going to be effective, both in terms of costs and in terms of revenue generation, in terms of helping people find treatment. So that's a big difference for us, but it helps us on that end because it makes sure that we have that foundation. It also allows us to build the differentiators, right? So the example I give all the time is, is coffee, right? You can build a coffee shop in your town, but it's not going to become the next Starbucks just because you have coffee and people like coffee. The biggest mistake a lot of addiction treatment providers make is they, they think they're just meeting a need. And so people are going to come to them and it's not the way yes. it works. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can't, you can't treat addiction treatment as a commodity and people get confused on that because there are unique moments in time when that's possible, mm -hmm. right? If you are the only coffee shop in town, yes. If you open that coffee shop, everyone that wants coffee will come to you. Addiction treatment was across the country so you could literally open up an addiction treatment center and people would just kind of flood in because there was such a strong need um but nowadays there's more beds than there is need just like there's more coffee shops and there's people that need coffee so when real competition comes in and the market matures as they always do you have to be differentiated you have to provide better quality than the competitors or something different right so when people go to starbucks people go to starbucks just because they have coffee right one, some people really like Starbucks coffee. They think it's better than everything else out there. Um, but two, it's a service. That service element is really, really important to the Starbucks model and part of what has made them really successful, right? So we look for those things when we go into an addiction treatment provider. And if they don't have them, we help them build them and identify them. So okay, what do you guys have in this particular market or geography or niche that is really important, that's valuable, that we're going to be able to build a marketing strategy around? because I can't just go in and market addiction treatment. It's not gonna help you become successful. So those pieces are, are super important on our end. And it actually helps for the provider a lot. It pushes them through a really critical thinking process. It gets them thinking more strategically about who they wanna be. And it allows them to connect with their community in a deeper way. Cause we do a lot of community um, analysis and research into the data mm -hmm. around it too, to say, okay, well, did you know that you actually have a, a hugely affluent LGBT you know, community here? Um, that you guys are not supporting. You know, this is something that is needed in the community. No one else is doing it. And you have this opportunity. Have you looked at that? You know, so, so those kind of questions are really important and allow us to build an effective marketing strategy rather than just kind of throwing money against the wall. Yeah, it's great. I got all getting all giddy here in our conversation because these are all the you know all the things that I've been like frustrated with. So it's like so many different ways I could take this. It is. I mean, I do. I feel like once again, I feel like I'm saying this a hundred thousand times, but they, they do. They look at it as if they're just people will keep coming to us. That's fine. We, you know, we don't have to do this. And it's just yeah. it's such a it's such a mistake. And th this is what I'm trying to do in, um, in in my area in Western New York is for the community is to kind of make them realize that you guys have to shift this if you want to to stick out. I know there's nobody who's doing anything like I don't know if you know who Marty Neumeyer is. He's a started as a graphic designer, but got into branding. He wrote one of the original books on branding, mm -hmm. and he's got um a book called Zag, which is whenever you know basically he says when everybody zigs, you zag if you want to stick mm -hmm. out, and you know you got to be different. And I know, like especially in the Western New York community, the first mental health treatment provider that really does that is going to blow the rest out of the water. It's just kind of trying to convince them to do it, <laughs> and that's yeah. the uh, that's the trouble. And they got lucky before, right? Or they were the only provider. Uh, acute care hospitals, we work with psych behavioral a lot too. Okay. And, uh, that was a different model because it costs about $20 million to build a psych behavioral hospital. That level of care wow. requires 
regulation and they're just bad. They're, they're like hundred beds minimum. Um, so huge capital investment up front. So most people didn't want to do it, right? Especially if I could build an addiction treatment center and literally at least the building and start providing services, you know, in three months um, with very little capital cost. So your psych behavioral, your acute care in particular, um, even when you look at your UHSs and your Acadias, they just opened up and then they were full, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you look in competitive markets like Phoenix or Houston or Columbus, Ohio, and it's spreading across the country into these bigger metropolitan areas, now you've got three or four because people saw opportunity there and they said, okay, well, we're going to invest the 20 million and build one of these things. Well, now I've got four psych hospitals, right, in the small little area in Columbus, Ohio. And so now my admissions are down and they're way down because we're not the only game in town. And so they thought that like, oh, you know, our, our business is great. We're really successful. We're good at what we're doing. No, you were, you actually weren't that great. You were just the only, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's a shock for executives, especially in the healthcare space where they tend to move really slow, you know, mm -hmm. so go in and say, Hey, look, you're actually, you weren't doing a great job. Your, your marketing is terrible. Your clinical care program is mediocre to subpar. Um, you're not tracking any metrics that are really definable or useful for the business. And, and that that's that's a shock, especially if they've been in that role for thirty years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And I think that's that the problem with most people. I think just change in general to kind of connect us with as you know a whole mental health thing. But yeah, I think people don't even realize what they're doing over and over again is yeah. you know not working. And sometimes yeah. sometimes you need that outside that outside voice or that outside perspective. Hence your yeah. company, and you come in and kind of give that to them. And I think that's. Yeah. I think that's a great a great way to approach things and i think we need more of it once again i think we really do yeah yeah i've i've interestingly found that um sometimes people coming from outside the space are actually are better at identifying gaps mm -hmm. you know in a different life i actually used to do diversity and inclusion executive training so i'm a, I'm a certified uh executive diversity trainer really okay yeah, so I've trained um, higher levels of the military, uh, CEOs of Fortune 500s on, on DNI, diversity inclusion. But one of the things that you learn when you look into the research on that is that you find that organizations that have diversity um, in terms of their executive teams actually do better. And the reason for that is because you've got these people coming from different perspectives. If everyone comes from mm -hmm. the same background, they look at things the same way, right? And so you need two things in a really successful organization. You need people that have internal knowledge of that organization that have come up through it. So you want about 50% of your team to be, you know, long-termers that just really know the organization, know the market, know the demographics, know the industry super well. But then you also want 50% coming from this outside. These are people that don't necessarily have background space per se, but they just bring a really fresh, different perspective. Um, and so when you combine those two things, if you've got a healthy culture where people are collaborating, it leads to outperformance. Yeah, that's huge. I think, and I think that sparks and helps creativity as well. I think that's an important mm -hmm. role. I've been talking with, somehow I got connected with him. He's, he's an author and um, a brand strategist based out in um, California, uh, Fabian Gerhalter, his name is. And, you know, he says that all the time when you walk in there and people are like, you know, you really have to have a know-how in this business. And he goes, I, I'm so glad I don't have a know-how in your business because now you can get a different point of view with it. And, you know, yeah. that's that's definitely important. And I think, you know, we need this shift throughout this country. And I think, you know, if we get more more things going on like this, like, you know, what you're doing and people kind of let's connect with them deeper. Let's really bring value to the community. You're going to start to see a difference over the years. 
Yeah, I think, you know, you're talking about branding a lot. And actually, I dealt with this in the diversity inclusion space too. Those things can get really fluffy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with the um, connecting that to the executive team. You know, when someone comes in from a marketing perspective and says, hey, content is king, or it's all about building a relationship, or you have to tell your story, that stuff is a lot of fluff and it doesn't necessarily mean anything unless it's tied to very clear objectives that mm-hmm. they're organizational goals, right? And that organizational goal can be revenue growth. It can be um, cultivating donors or, or driving average donation value per donor. It can just be finding volunteers or creating behavioral change on a governmental PSA end of things. So there has to be a goal. And that's where a lot of um, marketing companies miss the mark is they come in with fluff. And so when you look at branding, for example, branding is two things from an ROI perspective. It either lowers search cost, right? So if you think of just from a basic numbers perspective, you know, on average, it takes people, you know, at least seven touches to, to take action on something. So I have to see you seven times, right? So if I'm in a community that knows me, I've probably heard your name around, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I heard it from my you know, PCP, maybe I heard it from a friend, maybe I saw a billboard. So by having that community kind of knowledge and reputation, I've reduced the number of touches required for my marketing. So rather than having to pay, you know, Facebook or AdWords or whatever to reach you seven times, I not only have to pay to reach you four times. Mm -hmm. So I've reduced my search cost, right? So really good branding reduces search cost. And that's important when you're thinking about expanding new markets. You know, a lot of people get confused. They're like, well, we're doing so well here. I want to go into the next big city over. Well, you're starting from zero from a touchpoint perspective. But it's going to be more for you to go into that market, you know, where people have never heard of you before. Um, so search cost is a big piece of the ROI brand. And then the other one is charging a premium. If you have a reputation for high quality, mm-hmm. people will often pay more for that. You know, in the behavioral health space, it's a little bit harder, right? Because insurance is actually kind yeah. of a main payer. But when you think about your, your normal spaces, right? If I'm going to go to a really nice restaurant, um, I'm willing to pay more if that's a really quality restaurant with great service. If it's not, I'm not going to go there again, right? You know, even when you look at cars, right? Am I going to pay more for a used Toyota or a used Chevy? The used Toyota always commands a higher price because it, we know from a quality perspective, the reputation of Toyota and they live up to it is that they just last longer, right? You can drive those things 200,000 miles and, and maybe have to take in for repairs once where the Chevy, you're going to have multiple repairs. Mm-hmm. So it's not as valuable. So really good reputation drives a premium price point in the market. But both of those go back to the quality of the product or service, right? I, I can't have a good reputation. Toyota doesn't command a price premium because they have good marketing. They have a uh, price premium because they have a really quality product that their marketing then amplifies so people know about it, right? And so those two have to be connected. And that's the same thing in the behavioral health space. If, you don't have a really quality clinical program, uh, it doesn't matter how, how much marketing you do, right? Because it's just going to fall flat. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if everything you're doing is crap. So you always got tied to that ROI. How are you driving the business objectives? You know, and the DNI space was the same. So many diversity programs were just fluff. It's like we're, we're holding multicultural parties. We have all these affinity groups, you know, where we're trying to diversify the number of women or minorities we have in the organization. So we have these recruiting goals, but none of that was ever tied to the bottom line of the organization. So when you talk to the executive team, you didn't have a lot of buy-in because the executives didn't understand what the impact of uh, these initiatives were. And so a lot of the work that I did around DNI was helping um, chief diversity officers understand 
how they could actually impact the bottom lines of the business and align with the executive team to drive organizational goals. So not just having DNI over here, mm. you know, and so marketing is the exact same thing. Marketing can't exist in its own little world where it's just, hey, look at all the likes and shares we got, right? I, I can't take likes and shares to the bank and need to understand how that marketing connects to my business goals. And then if I can show that, if I've got the data and the tracking in place, then it's important. Now I can say, okay, look, look how this story arc really drove clicks, then calls, then admissions, mm. you know, but if you're just saying, Hey, we have this story here and the story is great. Cause you know, you have to tell your story and eh, that's not going to go anywhere with an executive team for, for good reason. Yeah. I think that's a great point. If you don't, if you don't come in and name your goals and set those goals up and define them very, very in a very fine way and say, this is what we want to do. And then you create your strategy. This is how we do it. And then you kind of, you know, run everything through that. And I think that's, that's a huge point. And I feel like, again, the companies, at least in my area, are still spending money on TV commercials and radio commercials. I'm like, why are you spending? I've just seen the other day, there's, I would, I think I just looked it up. I think they're the second biggest treatment provider in Western New York. And they, I seen a TV commercial. I'm like, this is the crappiest corporate looking commercial. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine how much money they spent on it. And yeah. it's just, oh, you want to pull your hair out. It's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, people forget, you know, it's not that radio or TV can't work, but it is pretty expensive medium, right? And there's not a lot of trial and error process. Like mm -hmm. One of the reasons that we really emphasize digital a lot of the time is because it's very low cost, right? So we actually do Crazy. this. So let's say we got a big budget. And so we want to throw in some TV in there. We'll take and run a bunch of videos, mini video segments on Facebook, right? And we'll split test the hell out of them because I can I can run 50 ads on Facebook with you know 50 different videos for five dollars. <laughs> exactly. You know, it costs us a thousand dollars a month to split test that. You get the data back and say, hey, look, this video really struck a chord with people. Okay. So now we know our messaging, we know kind of the content and the layout that works. Now let's go spend 20, you know, 20, 30000 dollars to produce a really high-end commercial and then pay that money for TV because we've already gotten the data back that shows that this is going to work. Whereas if you just make something random and then kick it out to TV, you know, you're not going to get the data back until that's out there and you've paid the money and, you know, you probably spent a lot of money. And if that <laughs> didn't, you're not in a great place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something. Who knows? Hopefully, hopefully some people in my area will listen to this podcast and give me a call or find give you a call or somebody a call because something needs to change that's for yeah. sure but so yeah. so nick when people kind of come to you i seen on your web you have like a graphic designer and all that do you offer like do you do logos do you outsource that kind of stuff if people want logos and stuff or are you just strictly kind of the seo and the websites i mean we do everything in-house uh okay. i built intentionally right so all of our web designs in-house all of our graphic design is in-house obviously all the content we write all the analytics that we do everything we build and everything we run is in-house beautiful it just works from a, a team and a communications mm -hmm. perspective right and so we have a really really extensive onboarding process it's about two weeks to get through our really? onboarding process for a content writer because they have to know the space they have to understand the dynamics they have to understand the metrics you know they really have to understand a lot outside of just writing content. And so, so many agencies, even on the SEO front, you know, they're just spitting out content. They hire some random content writer out of college and 
they're good writers, but if you don't understand uh, behavioral health, if you don't understand the space, then you're not going to be able to write good content for the space. In addition, we make sure that our team understands how they contribute to that ROI perspective, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing from a content perspective that's going to be performance-based? We're not just writing random content, but how does it fit into a strategy, right? So all of that stuff is, is really important for us. So, you know, I mean, we've got, we've got basically this, there's three wings under the marketing end of things. We've got a paid media wing. A lot of it's digital because it's cost effective, but we will help out with radio, TV, billboards, et cetera. Then we've got your SEO wing, and that also has a big content component. And really SEO is a cross between content and back end, mm -hmm. right? Those are two big pieces. And then the technical audits and strategy you do as well, but that that's a little bit more of a one-off on it. And then we've got oh, an entire wing that just really focuses on helping clients with the basic deliverables, you know? So if they've got things like a logo or whatever, We'll help them build that. We'll help them redesign their websites, you know. But for us, those are, uh, you know, it's all included as an overall strategy. What we don't do, and like no one would come to us for like just a logo. Say, hey, you know, can you guys create yeah. a logo for us? We wouldn't be the people you would reach out to for that. A logo would be a small part of what we're doing in an overall strategic analysis. You know, what I always say to clients is business growth and marketing is like a game of chess, mm. right? I can't just go and look at tactics and look at techniques and then copy what the other person is doing, for example, or use the same technique every single round and try and win. You know, I have to be really, really strategic. And that strategy is going to change, you know, move by move, moment by moment. And so where we come in is we partner with clients around that strategic analysis. So we do a lot of analysis, not just for the client, but you know, industry-wide, right? Um, so I got, I have a lot of calls with the CEOs and the executives and saying, okay, here's what's happening in the industry. Here's what's happening with you guys. Here's what you should be doing. And I would reallocate this spend over here, or we should put more money over here, or we should take money away from that and reinvest it somewhere else. Um, so we really kind of help them understand, uh, a lot of the strategic components, which is pretty different from, uh, most agencies that people have worked with in the past. Awesome. Well, here's here's a selfish question I wanna I wanna ask you because I just am curious for myself. How do you? What is your process to go about just kind of staying up to date with what's going on in the business of behavior health? Whether it's just kind of reading articles. You, I mean, obviously from starting a business, I know networking is a huge piece of it. Knowing people, being able to talk with them. But you know, what is your process for that? A really good question. Yeah, you know, I can't say that I have a, a process that I lay out. Um, I talk with people all the time, right? Yeah. And I have most executives on speed dial, you know, if I call them, they'll gently pick up the phone. Because most of the time when I'm calling people, it's to connect, it's to share industry advice, and you know, get some advice from them. Um, you know, I'm not pitching people all the time or anything like that, right? So <laughs> yeah. I have really good relationships with a lot of uh, leaders in the industry, which helps me stay up to date. And then I do a lot of reading. I'm, I'm just a voracious reader. So I'm always reading different research articles. Sometimes it's little things that pop up on LinkedIn that seem interesting to me. Sometimes it's buying, you know, entire books and reading through them. So I do a lot of reading on my own. Uh, so just kind of naturally and organically, I tend to constantly be staying up to date in the industry. And then obviously we have a lot of internal data. So there are sometimes as well to spend an entire day just diving through our industry data, right? I'll have a question that'll pop up and I'll be like, well, you know, what about this kind of content? Is this effective? Or, you know, we've had a couple of clients try Twitter, you know, how has that actually played out for them? You know, let's see if that's something that we need to be looking at for other clients. But so I'm always looking through our own data um, on a really regular basis and then drawing industry-wide, you know, um, analyses out of that to, to help us, to help clients, et cetera. 
So that'd probably be my end. We do have it a bit more formalized with the team. So every, like I mentioned before, we have a behavioral health discussion with the team. So there's time set aside for that. And then the team is also paid for learning and training. And so that's a bit optional again. They can use that to learn more about behavioral health. They can learn that to use more about their particular function. You know, if they're in SEO, for example, they can go and read content, go to a conference, listen to podcasts. So we formalize that process a bit more. Um, but for my own, it's just, I, I guess I'm always learning and I like it. I'm interested in it. So I don't have to set time aside for myself, <laughs> I guess. Oh, well, that's how I, once you find something you love, man, it's, um, and you love doing yeah, it. I like going the rabbit hole. Yeah, so, <laughs> it is. It's, it's, I don't know, so go and like, you know, bookmark. Like if you look at my screen right now, I have about 25 tabs open and that's actually not that many for me. <laughs> like, I'm, always I'm like, oh, I need to follow up on that. Really interesting. Oh, I am a big uh, tabs guy myself. So many, so many tabs are open. Windows, everything. I have this giant, like, fifty-five inch four K television up here. Okay, so that's that's why I'm like that's why I usually look up here. But uh, yeah, I have to look down here because then it looks like I'm completely ignoring you if I had you up on this screen. So, but no, I'm the same way, man. It's um, yeah, I really have found for the honestly, I've just turned thirty-five, and for the first time, I'd say two years ago, it's like I found something I love to do, and this is um, it's yeah. great. So it's very um exciting. Do you do anything remote? Do you work with mainly people in your area? Do you fly out? Would you fly out somewhere like in New York if a company wanted to hire you? Oh, all the time. And so the consulting's on site, right? So there's obviously a, a large part of the analyses and the audits and the strategies that we can do remotely, you know, mm -hmm. looking at all the data, getting information, doing interviews, but we have to do the on site. I've tried to do it in the past virtually, and we did a couple times here with COVID just because obviously, you know, flights and travel mm -hmm. wasn't, but it just doesn't work as well. Being on the ground, seeing operations, talking to people like right there while they're doing whatever they're working on is just insanely valuable. And there's so many times where, I mean, I just remember this one time we were on California last year and with this client that we ended up saving them about 70% of their marketing costs because we found that they were just the patients that they were bringing in, they had this whole process set up where they had like a consultation with the patient and then the sales team was asking them which level of care they wanted to go into. Uh, and we're like, wait, 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 wait. Like, you know, you guys are the expert. You guys are doing the ASAM assessment or the biopsychosocial. You know what level of care they need to go into. You don't, you don't ask them. And so they had all these patients level of care rather than PHP or residential, mm -hmm. which is what they needed, you know, oftentimes. Uh, so they're just losing all this revenue left and right just because the process they have set up. And we would have never seen that had we not like been in that process and been there. And that I have a lot of examples where just being on site has allowed us to really see what's going on that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So I'm on the road probably two weeks out of four during the month. And so I'm gone a lot, uh, which is tough, but you know, it, it, it's, it has to be part of the process that's effective for us. And we've learned so much from it. You know, we've got all this data, we've got all this quantitative analysis, but we're able to combine it with that qualitative component, which is really important for us. So yeah, I, I'm flying around all the time. That's great. Well, how do people um, get a hold of you if they want to, um, are interested in your services? Or Oh, sure. Um, so obviously they can always reach out through the website, circlesocialinc.com. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to professionally connect with me, that's a very good place to find me. And we give a lot of free valuable content on there. 
Uh, or I'm happy if people want to reach out, you know, they can reach me at my email address. It's Nick and I C K at circle social Inc.com. But always happy to, you know, connect on industry events, see what's going on, you know, give people advice here or there. And then obviously if you want to work with us, happy to have that discussion as well. Great. Yeah. And I'll leave all that stuff in the description when I publish the podcast and all of that. So people can get a hold of you if they want to. Appreciate it. But yeah, thanks for, um, thanks for your time. And I could, uh, I could talk to you about this stuff for a long time. So instead of killing my audience, I will, uh, I'll let you go, but I hope, I hope you don't mind if I reach out to you every now and then. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really appreciate having on Sean, uh, or having me on and definitely anytime you need something, just let me know. Yeah. Cause like I said, this is, uh, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm headed in towards that path where you, the industry you're kind of in, I don't know, obviously not exactly in that way, but similar. I want to help push that out where people are really kind of putting life and giving value to the community through whether it's you know marketing or just really in general kind of just really giving companies that passion to be innovative and move forward too many too many companies sink because they were quick to switch to telehealth during covid they're innovative (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other discussion that kills me especially on that every single day i had a call yeah i'm like like everyone has telehealth now everyone there's no there's no differentiation there and then you go back to the marketing thing i'm like well look okay so you want to market to the whole nation now which 360 million people how much is that going to cost you do you have that much money oh my gosh i know yeah hey if you get a chance to i'll, I'll send you marty newmeyer man you got ch- his book one, his books yeah. are short i mean you could probably read one literally if you're an avid reader probably an hour Okay. But they are when it comes to like branding and Brett, he is on point, man. So I'll send you some of his stuff. You should you should check it out if you get some time if you're ever interested. Okay. So awesome, Nick. Well, thanks again for your time, man. And I will uh, stay in touch with you. I'll let you know when I'm releasing this and send you some links and all that other jazz. All right. Well, thanks so much, John. I appreciate right, it, brother. No problem. I'll be in touch.